Hello and welcome to another edition of Centre Circling. Uh, I'm Charlotte Henry and I'm joined by David Hirsch. Hello, David. Hello, hello. Good morning. David Hirsch here. Very good. Uh, how are you doing this week? What, what's been catching your eye? Um, well, by-election last night, wasn't it? Yes, we, by-election fever struck Peterborough. So are we celebrating? Well, it's kind of the grim beating the grim, isn't it? Really? Isn't it? So you've got, just let's go through the result briefly, you've got Labour's Lisa Forbes on nearly 10,500 votes. She got uh, 31% of the vote, which is a 17% drop from Labour's last result in the city. Uh, that was Fiona Osenia, who won, had won the seat for Labour and ended up in prison. Yeah. Um, the Brexit Party's Mike Green got 9,801 votes. That's 29%. Uh and so he came second. So it was a kind of contest between Lisa Forbes, whose campaign was mired in anti-Semitism. We can talk about that in a minute. Yeah. And the Brexit party with all the issues that come with that. So it was all pretty grim. Right. So let's look at Lisa Forbes. Um, and Let us. <laughs> and the reason that people were worried about anti-Semitism. So um, there was a Facebook post. In fact, I have the Facebook post here in front of me, which uh, had a picture of people mourning the uh, victims of the attack on the mosque in New Zealand. It says, in solidarity with victims of the New Zealand terrorist attack. And above the picture, there's, what, five lines of text. Uh, Starts with, this is positive outcome when you have a fair and just leader, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, our leader, Theresa May, feeds off this rhetoric to keep her Zionist slave master's agenda alive. And then you see that Lisa Forbes has liked um, the picture. So... Yes, Lisa Forbes didn't make the comment about the Zionist slave master. She didn't make the comment. She just liked the picture. So, you know, on one level can happen to anyone. I kind of worry about this. I say, I, you know, paste a lot of stuff on... So I, I'm going to pause you, because actually I don't think it can happen to anyone. Go on then. Well, first of all, I think you kind of have to be hanging out online in those circles. I, stuff can appear randomly, yep. but I think you potentially have to be kind of in the... It can't just be that you're in the wrong place. Like You have to sort of have some connection, I would argue, yeah. a lot of the time, not exclusively. Um, I, you know, Jeremy Corbyn did this with the mural as well, didn't he? I didn't look at it properly. Yes, he did. I mean, yeah, uh, it, I just, it's true that I don't I worry, think it's good enough, actually. It's true that I worry that I might make a mistake. That I, I you know, in fact, of I course, st- we all share do. stuff that I haven't read through. Um, and oh, <gasps> David, yeah, I know. Uh, you know, you share stuff from people that you know and, and people that you know are good. And so, on the other hand, you know what does it what does it even mean Zionist slave master's agenda? Theresa May has a Zionist slave. What are Zionist slave masters, Charlotte? Do you know? I don't, but maybe there's some irony there that we're not understanding. <laughs> I mean, it's actually an astonishing phrase. All right, so look, she liked it. She pressed like on the photo. Well, it isn't. Uh, Jews and Zionists being part part of uh, the cause of the slave trade, like a. Ah. Fairly well-established anti-Semitic trade. It could be, except I think during the time of the Atlantic slave trade, there weren't many Zionists around yet. Right. <laughs> uh, so I, anyway, so so possibly, possibly, possibly you could like a thing 
Let's move on to the next one. A message which claimed that ISIS was created by the CIA. Um, quote, I have enjoyed reading this thread so much, she commented. So much that tries, <laughs> tries spelt wrongly, brackets it. So much that tries to divide us, but there is far much more. She's not a writer, is there? There is far much more that unites us. So, um, I mean, maybe there was some not, really good things. Not quite the eloquence of uh, <laughs> Joe Cox. No. There's more that unites us. So maybe there were lots Comments, of things on the thread that she, that were positive. Maybe there were lots of things in the thread which criticised this idea that ISIS was created by the CIA. What's the problem with saying that ISIS was created by the CIA? Uh, you mean apart from that it's a mad conspiracy theory? <laughs> that would probably be it. I mean, the, to put, at its very kindest, right, the, the argument goes that the... Well, it doesn't, does it? Because you could say that... that ISIS was created by the aftermath of the invasion of Iraq and American policy and American policy created this swamp, this lawless, stateless swamp in which ISIS could thrive. But actually doesn't say that, does it? It says specifically... I was going to say, Tara, I suggest she's not being that nuanced. Well, but it says specifically CIA. So we're not talking about, you know, ISIS was caused by American policy. We're co when, it, when, when you say was created by the CIA, that must mean some kind of positive... Uh, action and of course often we hear we see the thing about ISIS being created by Mossad or by the Israelis yeah um, yes that absolutely. ISIS is created to divide the democratic uh, and freedom-loving anti-Zionist community of the world um, so interestingly the there's a relationship between ISIS was created by CIA and ISIS was created by the Israelis. And that relationship is the, 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 the one about anti-Americanism and anti-Semitism, which I think we will come yes. on to later. I think we have to, but I, I'd like to just focus specifically on the election, because I'll tell you one thing I did find quite ghoulish. Right. We can, sorry, we can do, but I'm just quite keen to give her her really best shot. So we've got these two... Because we, you know, it's a big deal. You're feeling, feeling generous this morning, aren't I'm, you? Absolutely. So there's these two things, right? She likes a thing, and then she says, "I like this thread," and then, and then what does she say in answer? She says, "I actually, I actually liked a video of children praying about the atrocities," and she says she's apologised for that. She didn't see it, and then she says, "I'm really sorry," and I just hope that people will understand that I don't have a bad bone in my body towards any race of people and anti-Semitism is just something I condemn completely. And even the, hmm. the kind of apology and the denial... Excuse me, feeling a bit... ...grates a bit, doesn't it? The, you know, in the 80s, people used to sit around and have race, racism consciousness-raising sessions and they would begin like a session of Alcoholics Anonymous and they'd say, hello, my, my name is David Hirsch and I'm a racist. And then you'd say, my name is Charlotte Henry and I'm a racist. And... It's a little bit icky, isn't it? But th there's a point underneath it, and the point under. I'm slightly terrified now that people are going to clip fine. that out, and we're just they, gonna... they, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the point underneath it is that we live in a racist society. We live in a society where racial thinking and racist thinking is completely, you know, all over the the place, and it's within us. And the idea that we yes, can, the absolutely. idea that we can become anti. Well, hang on. We there is. 
but when I say absolutely, what I mean is that is as much as we like to think we have progressed, uh, there is clearly still huge issues of racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. You could put homophobia and so on in sure. that as well. Uh, Within society, that's what, what I, I want to that. say is the idea that we could become completely clean of, of all of this stuff just by deciding to be to be so is much too simple. And, you know, yes. we struggle, we try. And, and, and the, the kind of uh, complacency, I think, of saying, I don't have a bad bone in my body. And I've heard it before from that guy. He was the Labour guy who said that a Jewish man couldn't be the British ambassador to Israel. And he said, there's not an atom of anti-Semitism within me. I just don't trust it when people say there's not an atom of badness within me. Um, and I think it's a kind of illiterate thing to say for, for you know, someone who considers themselves to be a socialist. We live in a, in a, in a world where there's all sorts of bad things and some of the bad things get into us. And, and that's what I think. Um, and we try, you know, we strive, we try, we we deal with it. We sit in a consciousness raising session and we talk about it openly and we address it. We don't just say there's none of that in me because um, I don't trust anyone who thinks there's none of that in them. So onwards, <laughs> am I being really controversial? I don't mean to be really controversial. I don't think it's controversial. I just, it's a bit of a miserable thought that we all might be a bit racist and some anyway it's not a we'll say avenue q everyone's a little bit racist yeah i'm not saying i'm a bit racist i'm saying that 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 racism and anti-semitism are external social structures they're external to our own subjectivity they're about ways of thinking discourse language mm. institutions and the idea that we could just kind of declare ourselves clean just by by an act of the will it just seems to me to be... Yeah, it's yeah. a bit weird. So hang on, onwards, onwards, but, because then there's another issue with Lisa Forbes. He, she signed a letter last August with 100 anti-Zionists that was circulated by a Jewish voice for Labour, which denounced Israel as an apartheid state, called for the abolition of Israel and its replacement with a democratic secular state, and it opposed the adoption of the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, at the moment when it was a really big live issue within the Labour Party. So first, there's a slip of the, of, of the mouse, right? She liked something that she didn't look at. Then there's a, a yes, I really love this thread about ISIS and the CIA. Then we know that she's herself really well entrenched within the politics of calling Israel apartheid and opposing the IRA definition and all of that stuff. And then we know she's standing for a party which is institutionally anti-Semitic and she's standing for a party which is currently being investigated by the uh, EHRC. And each thing adds on to the other, I think. Right, and it does. And this, is, this leads me nicely on to the point that I wanted to make, which is that I found it utterly ghouling to see... So Gordon Brown went down and campaigned for her in Peterborough. I think if you want to be generous, uh, by the time Gordon Brown was there, a lot of the stuff about her hadn't yes. quite emerged. Look, But Ed, Miller, Ed Miliband yes. was there as well. Uh, you know, and of course, because it's a by-election, a whole host of other Labour front yeah. benches. Uh, and Labour MPs went down there. You know, people that I'm sure have done the hand-wringing yeah. thing about Labour anti-Semitism, they all went down there and told people 
that she should be the the yeah. an MP. I think Keir Starmer was down there yesterday. At, right, exactly. All these people went down there and said that this person with all those issues that you've just so well outlined said that despite all of that, this person is fit to represent you and yeah. this party in Parliament. And I find that utterly, utterly galling. Now, I'm not expecting Labour MPs to go and say, don't vote for the Labour candidate. I understand that. I'm not stupid. But I also... So the issues is kind of... To go back to first principles, almost the issue is that she was selected as the yep. candidate. Yeah, that's the first issue, right? That it took for her being very close to being an MP for this to be yep. exposed. Second, that's the first issue. The second issue is that once this was exposed, Labour didn't try and do something about it. The third thing is that people like high-profile people, the former leader of the opposition, Ed Miliband, went down and campaigned. The shadow yeah. Brexit secretary, they were, they didn't distance themselves from her they weren't ashamed at all they said this person yeah. should be in parliament and by extension this person should be in parliament because it gives us another vote and another person that could make jeremy corbyn prime so minister your point actually i think is, is really important is not that she was put in by the corbynites as a corbynite candidate but that the whole party rallied around her and and absolutely there was you know Activists being encouraged to go and vote for her. Of course, we know the Jewish Labour movement actually refused. Jewish, Jewish Labour to go put um, out a statement to say, yes. "This is what she said. We don't accept it, and we will therefore, and we're not going we're not down going to Peterborough down to, to campaign." It didn't say they, we're going to campaign against they, her. It said we're not going to campaign for absolutely her. Absolutely not. Um, but but exactly but important move, and I I'm not sure that the JLM have have done that before. The statement from the Jewish community was very clear. Um, we are fed yeah. up with hearing that Labour opposes anti-Semitism while repeatedly hearing excuses that its members accidentally missed the racism that was staring them in the face. Unless Labour disowns Lisa Forbes as a candidate, it will only confirm the party's shameful descent into the racist mess for which they are now being investigated by the EHRC. That was from uh, Marie van der Zyl. Well, I think, I think that statement actually hits the nail on the head. I think she's totally articulated what what I I was thinking that you know the the party did not distance itself it did not yeah. condemn her uh that you know they were highly embarrassed over what happened with Fiona Onsenia yeah. anyway um you know she it was a kind of a Christian speeding ticket yes. thing I think uh it, yes. it, it was a mess but um she so she ended up in prison for perverting the course yeah. of justice uh, I believe that's that's the offense um and Yes, they were embarrassed anyway, and they just tried to kind of they tried to kind of bluff their way through it. I think they they did that thing, you know, when you've like if you've turned up wearing the wrong thing at an event, <laughs> yeah. and you just kind of try and bluff your way through the event, and just if you act confident, no one will notice that you'll look ridiculous, yeah, kind the- of thing. I think there, I think there was an element of that, and they thought, you know, deploying, you know, Gordon Brown. Uh, passionate passionate campaign against uh, uh you know a good friend of the jewish whatever one thinks yeah. of gordon brown you could never say he was not a good friend of yeah. the jewish community i saw a gordon brown speech at the and, jewish labor movement conference and and look right, he exactly. chose he asked to come he wasn't asked invited persuaded he asked to come to give solidarity to the jewish labor movement but the speech that he made 
had some stuff that I thought was important that he didn't say. So he said, it's disgraceful that Labour isn't at the forefront of opposing anti-Semitism. He said Labour has always been and it always must be. But he didn't explicitly and clearly say what the problem was. Um, but... Okay, look, I don't want to particularly go all the way back to that speech. What my point is that I think you have people who have proved themselves friends of the Jewish community like Gordon Brown. And actually, I think you could probably include Kistama in that. I don't think. But that they were still sort of rode it out and went and campaigned with Lisa Forbes. Ed Miliband, I've criticised in the past. I've written columns asking why he hasn't, as a, a Jewish former leader of the opposition not made a much bigger stand on these issues. Um, And I've criticised him quite heavily for that. So I think the whole thing I just found kind of stomach turning, actually, that they And I think it shows what a mess Labour is in. And I think it shows a weakness on the part of some of those that then went and stood. I think it's almost marginally worse than that. And I think the clue is in... Her. Oh blimey! I thought I thought it was I, I, I thought I was saying well, it was pretty I bad. Think God, the how is it in her worse? denial? You know, there's absolutely no okay. problem with me. I'm completely clean, and I think that those three things ticking something that that you know, the reason she liked that stuff on Facebook is because that is her political community, and the reason. Yes, that's that's exactly yes, the point I was I making earlier. That actually, you you kind of. Ha- you have to sort it's pretty hard to stumble on so you have yes. to kind of be there and be connected to those yes. kind of people and these two things were stumbles but the the political decision to sign the JVL letter was not a stumble that was that was considered that was her considered position and you know Israel is Absolutely. an apartheid state it must be abolished in favor of a democratic state for all its peoples and opposing the IHRA definition and um that she thought about, that she decided to do. And, and, and what that does here in this little example is connects the politics of hating Israel to the specific incidents of doing things which are kind of explicitly anti-Semitic, which everybody could recognise. And by the way, that's the issue with the EHRC. I'm worried about the HRC uh, investigation. I think the HRC investigation is, is is very good in a whole number of ways and it has access to all sorts of evidence that hasn't been seen yet and it has the powers to I think to subpoena material emails and stuff and also to override non-disclosure agreements with staff so it in a way it has a huge potential is this a the AHRC is this a Trevor Phillips uh, body, I don't think it? he's there anymore is he is that right uh, but he was the one that he was yes yes yes, yes that's it, right but look of... what I'm saying is that that right. that the key thing is to connect the politics of the Labour Party, the politics of the leadership of the Labour Party, the politics of hating Israel, which has gone throughout the Labour Party, to connect that to the specific problems of, of the kind of anti-Semitism that everybody can recognise. And I'm not convinced that the EHRC can do that. And if they can't, if the, if the HRC report says, look, Jeremy Corbyn's not anti-Semitic, and criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitism, but there are issues with a few anti-Semites in the Labour Party and the Labour Party institutions have not dealt with it properly. If that's all it says, it's not enough. What it has to say is there is a political problem of anti-Semitism throughout the party. The fish stinks from the head. 
And these incidents that everybody can recognise as anti-Semitic are related to the politics of boycott, the politics of BDS, the politics of JVL, and the decades-long politics and record of Jeremy Corbyn. So I, I agree with all those things, actually, because I think the point is that, and we've said this on the show before, that actually it is a yeah. political problem. Uh, and it, it's, sorry, it's the problem stems from the politics of those now running the Labour Party. Um, and that is clearly right. But I'm not entirely sure that is what the, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission, sh- that's their role. I don't I don't think it's their role to comment on the politics of the Labour Party. I think it's their role to outline the problem. Well, hang on. How do you outline the problem? Their, no, no, I'm going to... All right. Just give me a sec, because I think it's also their role to outline a potential solution. But I don't think, actually, it is for them to comment on... Jeremy Corbyn's politics in the way that you're saying. I think they can explain that there is the 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 politic the the way they come from it that there is a kind of institutionalized problem. I don't think it is for them to outline as you uh, you know as you have in your book the kind of political fallout and consequences of of that that political culture that Corbyn and Co come from. I don't. I can't imagine that the Equality and Human Rights Commission, that is going to be their role. What I think they can say is this is the institutional problem and it goes right to the top. And I think they must say that. I I think they must offer solutions, but I'm not sure they could really do the political dissection in the way you're articulating. And I think if you're expecting that, you're only going to be disappointed. But I think it is, first of all, I think it's pretty dramatic that the, Equalities and Human Rights Commission is doing this. Secondly, I think the issue relating to the by-election is that because of all the issues you've just articulated, that is how candidates like Lisa Forbes become candidates in very marginal seats. No, she wasn't kind of in, injected in, uh, if you like, by the Corbynites, but she was there and in a position to become the candidate in a highly marginal seat, and that, I think, is the issue. Yeah, I mean, uh, look... Anti-Semitism in the Labour Party is fundamentally a political issue. It's not fundamentally about process. It's about politics. And I think you're right, actually. Okay, but the, the, it's not for the, the... The Equality and Human Rights Commission is not a political body. It's right. it's a politically neutral body. It can't deal with the politics. It can maybe indicate that there is a political culture, but that's okay, a very so different thing. It's being asked to investigate a political problem. And it can't do that. I mean, look, the danger is that the Labour Party will say, well, thank you very much for giving us that, you know, that MOT. It's really helped us. We're going to clean up our institution, our our structures, our processes. And now, look, Labour's the cleanest party there is because we've had an MOT from the HRC. Yes. Yes, well, I think there is a risk of that. And I think that was also the risk, um, you know, Chakrabarti was meant to deal with the politics as well, and that was, yeah. as you articulate in your documentary, yeah, she doesn't do that. A, a she doesn't. If you don't connect the leadership and the record and the politics and the culture of the leadership with the incidents, then you've got nothing. Um, the the other thing I'm worried about in terms of the EHRC investigation is that 
there's going to be a kind of parallel investigation into Islamophobia in the Tory party. And I don't want to minimise the issue of Islamophobia in the Tory party. I think that might be a serious issue. Uh, but what I don't want to happen is that it then becomes normalised. Well, people say, look, we know that people on the left, you know, they hate Israel and we know people on the right don't much like Muslims and it's just kind of that's how it is. And and to have a kind of parallel investigations risks normalising this issue. I mean, I'm not against an investigation of the Tory party, but, but do you I see don't what I mean? Like I don't, what... I don't, I... Yeah, I do. I don't like the whataboutery that if you're the kind of idea that if you're criticising Labour for anti-Semitism, you also have to criticise the Conservatives for Islamophobia. Yeah. Both things might be I mean, true. Uh, but, but I don't think because you're doing one, you have to... Yeah, yeah I, I understand what you're saying. I think, look, if there is an issue with Islamophobia in the Conservative Party, as we're led to believe, as people like Baroness Saidavasi yeah. have said there is for a long time, then that must be dealt with. Yeah, and I mean, look, there are certainly there are issues in the Tory party. Look, looking at the leader, sure, but you know, what the, I, I don't, mean, the leader does not do what Corbyn does. The leader does not go and travel to foreign countries and hang. Theresa May doesn't, but That's you could have Boris Johnson well, who. She doesn't do that, own. but what she has been is Absolutely responsible not. for the the. Ah, um, oh, every week I've got a block with the word the the atmosphere the the hostile atmosphere at the Home Office and all. So she's responsible. Hostile environment hostile environment she is responsible for what she's responsible for and the Tories have their own problems and and th- I, not minimizing any of that but to normalize an EHRC investigation into the Labour Party and by the way people in the Labour Party think that they're better anyway they think that they're the anti-racist party so absolutely you know, and this has always been the problem yeah um so yeah I'm worried I'm I'm worried about the uh the investigation but we'll see i mean there might be some really positive things come out of it but but what what and and listening to you worries me because i, I kind of think well if they take your advice then in the end they're going to get a kind of political or they're going to take a political bill of health from it if, if they're not criticized politically yes well i don't think that should be allowed um but obviously here on center circling we will keep an eye out for it i just want to wrap up our conversation on on the labor party uh, getting their candidate elected. Yes. Because um, what we haven't talked about is that the Brexit party did not. Hooray. Um, now, Although I'd, I'm I, not in a position to say hooray because I wouldn't have voted for no, the party well, that I could beat that, them. That, so. I, I think that's exactly right. It's a bit grim that the only way that the Brexit party didn't get uh, their candidate elected is that Labour did. Yes. Um, I actually don't think this is quite as big a blow to Farage and the Brexit party as they think it is. Think about all the candidates that had to that that UKIP had to go through, and all the elections had to go through before it finally got uh, Douglas Carswell and Mark Reckless over the line in seats that they were also in seats they were already established and elected in. Yeah. I think actually, if you want, you know, to be within a few hundred votes of being elected at your first Westminster election, is actually a, a pretty credible. Okay. Uh, result, unfortunately. So I think we have to be a little bit careful in just dismissing that this is the, the Brexit party is peaked. Now, do I think that the EU election was a bit of a protest vote for them? Yeah, in large part it was. But, you know, that's nearly 10,000 Peterborough people in Peterborough who wanted a Brexit party, unknown candidate, not established in the seat, just a 
61 I think it was 61% leave uh, voted there so I think actually it shows that the Brexit party is pretty well established and you know maybe if this election was ha- look perhaps the momentum of the EU elections helped them perhaps what actually happened was they needed a bit more time we don't know we'll never know but <laughs> on a maybe maybe they needed you know, a bit less time <laughs> Well, or maybe they needed a bit less time. Absolutely. And look, let's be honest, had this ele- by-election been held on the same day as the EU elections, mm. their, their candidate wins. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that I just saw Lisa Forbes's uh, victory speech. She doesn't mention Brexit, you know. Um, and so well, maybe this was a victory for the Labour Party, the Labour Party's kind of studied ambivalence of saying, we don't care about Brexit. We're not very interested in Brexit. What we're interested in is poverty and and policing on the streets and the health service and all this. Um, um, I think that's how they'd like to put it. <laughs> anyway, look, she's got her 683 majority. She's going to Parliament. That is, and the, the, you know, Jeremy Corbyn keeps his number of MPs yeah. from the 2017 election. Well, Lisa, if, if you're uh, listening, uh, and if you're serious about getting your head around anti-Semitism, give me a ring. Uh, send me an email. Yes, uh, speak speak to Dr. David Hirsch, and he maybe even come on Centre Circle and talk to us and tell us why we're no, wrong about it. I'm quite you. serious. If you mean it, I know you if are. If you mean it, if you want to get your head around anti-Semitism, I'm really happy to sit with you for a morning, for a day, for two days, and talk it through. Um, serious. And even if you don't get to uh, get to sit with David, you should definitely read his book. But. The Peterborough Bar election was not the only grim thing that happened this week, and we will be talking about Donald Trump's visit to the UK after the break. So, we had the president here, David. We did. President Donald Trump was here. Donald Trump. And the giant blimp was in the air (laughs) and he was rude about Sadiq Khan before he left. He's extraordinary, isn't he? Because you kind of imagine that all these things that are said about him are a bit hyping. And then you see that when he does a press conference, he completely performs everything lunatic that you kind of (laughs) expect from Donald Trump. So actually... um. Actually, I'm not. So what was interesting was when he did the set piece press conference with Theresa May. Yeah. Did I get this wrong, Charlotte? They asked him that the question was about Jeremy Corbyn, who made a speech outside. And he didn't he answer by saying, well, he's a very bad mayor. Crime is up. No, he spoke about Sadiq. Are you sure? I I thought he got the two mixed up. Maybe it's so there you go. No, I don't think he did. Maybe it was me. What he did do... (laughs) was he was obviously on a very, very tight leash. I watched his speech next to Theresa May and he was, it was totally set piece, very, he was basically monotone. Yeah. He could, he, he had to just deliver it on by the book because obviously people had told him that's what he had to yeah. do. And actually, look, when he does that, because there's obviously someone around him who's vaguely sensible and they kept him on, on tap for that few minutes then obviously he's a bit freestyle when he's asked questions yeah. uh, and that's when it got a bit you know and the in that first press conference the thing that everyone freaked out about was him saying that nhs was and i hate this expression i'm so fed up of this expression now on the table on the table 
in the Brexit negotiations. Now, I don't know what that means. This, this, a, whole, this whole thing about the NHS is driving me mad at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's bonkers. I think that there's, it, it kind of brings together a load of, of political lunacies and a, lo- a load <laughs> of symbolism uh, into a kind of perfect storm. So even, I don't know, five years ago when people were talking about TTIP, there was the proposed trade deal between the European Union yes, yes. and uh, the United States. And people were saying TTIP is evil. It's terrible because it will enable the United States, American corporations to come and buy our NHS and to make to, to get rid of our NHS and to implement an American system of, of, of insurance. And, and the very idea that any British government would allow that to happen is just absurd. It's just absurd. But... There is this kind of story that, firstly, the Brits, the way the Brits think about the NHS is as if it's kind of unique and holy. Look, if you're ill, if your mum's ill, it looks after you really well and you love the people who look after your mum and the NHS is brilliant because, because you don't have to pay. It's a, it's a real asset, but it's not unique in the world. Other countries have really good health systems too. So firstly, the British think that their NHS is kind of the best in the world. It's completely holy. So that's one symbolic moment. The other symbolic moment is America and how awful America is and how nouveau riche and vulgar and everything else it is. Especially with Donald Trump as the president. Donald Trump is the right president for America because he represents all of that stupidity and vulgarity and money money obsession. And, and, And what is symbolic of the awfulness of America are the two American crazinesses, which are healthcare and guns. So the healthcare thing comes to London. And then we get this, even on on the Today programme and and on Radio 4, we get this notion floated that the evil, wicked, capitalist American corporations are going to run away with our holy NHS. And it's just madness. What what does this mean? Like, are they going to send a... Letter to Nye Bevan and a, <laughs> a cheque to Nye Bevan saying we've now bought your NHS. Like, so within I don't understand. Within every, I don't understand what it means. Yeah. Look, will there be? I, I guess they're talking about uh, things to do with drug supplies, perhaps equipment supplies. Look, within every madness, there's a kernel of truth, I guess. Right. So, so if the NHS is is putting out contracts to tender, right. then at the moment, any British firm and any European firm, any European Union firm is allowed to, uh, to, bid, for to them. bid for them. Um, and if there was a certain kind of free trade agree- agreement with the United States, it would have to be a very deep one, actually, then it would allow US firms to bid for, for NHS contracts. So, so far, what's, what's terrible about that? Well, I I don't quite know, but I also don't profess to be an expert in NHS commissioning. But I I think the the point is, I I think what do that do they people think that if we do a free trade deal with America, our healthcare system will overnight turn into their healthcare system? <laughs> well, then the, the, no, no, I'm well, serious. I think I actually think that's what people I don't, think. I, it's it's a madness. But but tracing through the kind of rational kernel, then people say, look, there's American healthcare uh, uh, company corporation. The word is corporation, which kind of, of brings you everything bad from from the alien movies and everything. The corporation, the the kernel of truth is that the corporations are so big and so strong, and that America is so strong compared to Europe, and now even more so compared to Britain, that they will be able to force. 
the British government to make concessions. And we might have a Tory government or a Farage's government, which would quite like to privatise the NHS. And then you have all this kind of lobbying power, which will force the British government to sign bits of it away, bit by bit, until there's nothing left. Does that sound likely to you? Um, I'm just... Look, is Boris jo- let's say assume Boris Johnson is the next prime minister, right? Okay. Is he going to be the per- I I I really struggle with this stuff actually because I just don't I think first of all I think the Labour Party exploit the NHS as a kind of you know ever since the 24 hours to save the NHS thing. I think this idea that the Tories want to destroy the NHS as you say which is this holy grail of British politics and society. Yes. It's just gross. I think that's like, true. I think the, 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 since 1948, the Tories have had every opportunity if they'd wanted to, to destroy the NHS and they haven't done it. I mean, what, is, is Jeremy Hunt going to win the Conservative leadership and, and create an assurance-based system of healthcare? I mean, it's a nonsense. Is, you know, Matt Hancock is not going to... Look, it's, ju- it's just a not Matt Hancock has... Not shown is the health secretary and has shown yeah. no, from what I can no. tell, indication that he wants to run down the NHS. Look, if you want to make an argument that the Conservatives should fund the NHS more, we can have that discussion. Yeah. Um, if you want to say, make the case that the NHS should be better and should do X, Y, and Z, we can have that. But the idea that the Conservatives or a free trade agreement with the Americans is going to suddenly bring about the end of the NHS as we currently know it is a nonsense. It, is, it must be a nonsense. <laughs> it is what Brendan O'Neill would love to call a, a moral panic. You know, there, there are these kind of utterly... Oh my God, have we gone there? Yeah, we, yeah. We've, gone fo- <laughs> we've gone spiked on centre circling. <laughs> there is this, this, this symbolic moment of the holy NHS and the evil US corporations and the evil Trump and the evil Tories... Who are, who are implementing Brexit in order to sell the NHS to, to the Americans. Um, I mean, by the way, I think it's true that the NHS was better looked after by Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. I think, um, you know, the, the cuts that have been made under Cameron um, and then uh, under Theresa May haven't been good for the NHS and there have been crises at Windsor. And, and so, yeah, actually, Labour has been looking after the NHS better than the Tories, but the idea that the Tories are committed to getting rid of it. And let's just be clear about privatisation too, actually. If you want to paint your hospital, you're not going to say that it's a principle of the NHS, that the NHS must make its own paint, right? You're going to buy some paint. And I think, well, I think that, you know, there isn't a principle against contracting out various things it, it it's kind of in, inevitable the question becomes where you draw the line and the question becomes how you do it and whether you do it successfully mm. and smartly and well and whether it has good results or whether you you write bad contracts which have bad results for patients and bad results for the exchequer so the idea that there's some again a holiness that the nhs must do everything itself no actually Rest in peace, your Twitter mentions. <laughs> the uh, the other thing that actually came up during Trump's visit, this is not when he was in the UK, but when he crossed the border into Ireland. Yes. Is he doesn't seem to have quite grasped the Irish border issue. No. So here, let, let me tell you, David, what he said. 
um, when he was talking about the Irish border, he was talking about he obviously there was reference to his border, uh, the war he wants with Mexico, and he said to Leo Verdaca. Uh, Varadkar. Varadkar, is that how you pronounce it? Thank you. The I- Irish Prime Minister. Tishuk. Th- I'm not even going to try and pronounce <laughs> that, David. He said, I think it will work out very well. I'm not going to do the Trump voice either. <laughs> I think it will all work out very well. And also for you with your wall, your border. I mean, we have a border situation in the US and you have one here. Yeah. But I hear it's going to work out very well here. Uh, he, uh, so uh, Varadkar interjected, according to the Guardian, that I didn't want a ball. He kind of point that was a rather important point <laughs> that uh, they, they don't want a wall between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Yeah, he was sitting there and trying Trump not to said, face palm. You know, he was really trying not yeah, to face palm. To which, oh, it gets better. Trump said, "I think you do. Yeah. I think you do. The way it works now is good. You want to try and keep it that way. I know that's a big point of contention with respect to Brexit. I'm sure it's going to work out very well." I know they're focused very heavily on it. It's unbelievable, isn't it, actually? Where the hell do we start with that? You know, when he was at Shannon, he said, there are a lot of good minds thinking about how to do it and how it's going to be just fine. It ultimately even could be very good for Ireland. The border will work out. I mean, this just sums up everything, doesn't it? This is a brash, unthinking man who has not considered a very nuanced, deeply sensitive issue with two key allies you know the irish community in is hugely important part of large parts of u.s society what are they thinking as they hear their president blathering mm. on like this the brit you know obviously britain is a key and america played a key role a crucial role in the good friday agreement and this the a successor to bill clinton who was so integral to all that has suddenly blathered on in this way, totally understanding, misunderstanding the issue. And more importantly than that, seemingly having spent no time trying to understand it, knowing Mm -hmm. he was going there, know he was going to the two key points of tension in this debate. He was going to Great Britain, he was going to the Republic of Ireland, and he spent clearly spent no time thinking about it did not have the capacity to process the nuance of the issue to start talking about a wall when you're in ireland and talking about the border with Ireland is is so ridiculous as to be obscene well it's so ridiculous as to be absurd and and he just gets away with it people say oh look I, i'm not sure he has got away oh, yeah? with it. actually people just think it's farcical i mean the other thing he's threatening right at the moment is like a kind of, I don't know, he said to Mexico. So he's been unable to build his wall. So what he's done now is he said, if you don't stop people coming from Mexico and through Mexico across the US border, we're going to put up a 5% Trump uh, a 5% Trump barrier, a 5% tariff barrier. Yep. Um, and we're going to do it whenever he's given. And it will a, keep going up. If and if you still don't, it will go up 5% every, until yeah. you do. Um, it's kind of astonishing. It's astonishing in a whole number of ways. Um, you know, what does it do for, for businesses that have got cross-border um, production processes? For, for it, it's, and, and he just kind of says, that's what we're going to do. I don't know if he is going to do it. 
And then you even a little he, bit of me is afraid. He says like they're normal and acceptable. I know. And a little bit of you is afraid that he's actually going to that it will work for him this time. <laughs> you know that Mexico will suddenly say, "Oh my goodness me!" And of course, Trump believes that it will work both ways. That it will work if they say yes, and it will work if they say no. Trump believes in tariffs, and and he's lost the whole kind of lesson of the 20th century about tariffs and trade barriers. Doesn't understand it, but um, it. Oh, is David Hirsch becoming a free marketeer live on Sunday? <laughs> um, certainly, uh, the what we learnt from the 1930s about the erection of trade barriers of economic nationalism is is something which we do not want to repeat. And and of course, in Trump's case, the very phrase uh, "America First" is the very phrase that was mobilised by the American fascists in the 1930s. And it's all very frightening stuff, I would say. Having said all that, I got into huge trouble this week with the Trump visit uh, because what I said was that some of... What did you do? (laughs) Some of the hostility to Trump has a whiff of anti-Americanism about it. Um, Well, sorry, I I don't think it has a whiff about it. I think people... I think it happened with uh, George W. W. Bush. yeah. Uh, and Absolutely. the Iraq war, I think we kind of, because everyone loved Obama. I mean, it's really difficult with Trump, isn't it? Because Trump is we, so we kind Trump of, is so awful that it's difficult to kind of say that that some of the hostility to him is <laughs> is anti-American because there's no limit to a kind of rational hostility to Trump. Although, I, no, sure, no, but it's two different things. Trump is awful, yep. but also. Lots of Americans think Trump is yeah. awful. A lot of Americans are hugely embarrassed by yeah, President Trump. They are ashamed. Of course. And there's a third and thing, which pro- is a lot of the British hostility to Trump is in some sense misplaced or displaced, and the quality of it is quite unsettling. So firstly, in terms of the quantity, there is nothing that Trump does and there is nothing that Trump is that we haven't done in Britain with the rise of, you know, the victory of Brexit and the the British attempt to smash up the European Union and the British stupidity about no deal and the, the all of that British Brexit stuff. And then on the other side of British politics is the rise of Corbyn, the rise of a Stalinist and a, a, a politics which is kind of soaked in anti-Semitism and soaked in anti-Americanism and soaked in contempt for the democratic state and democratic culture and the rule of law and all that other stuff. So, so firstly, people who are going to start railing about Trump think about Britain first, <laughs> not to use a pun. And I remember, I remember thinking this on the very morning of the of the uh, referendum. Um, and I said to, I, I just did a Facebook post which says, please, America, take Trump seriously. You don't want to feel like this after the presidential election. And actually... Oh, I remember very clearly remembering, uh, wait, you know, thinking once Brexit happened, thinking, oh, my God, yes. Trump is yes. going to win. So there's e- I, re- I remember thinking that There's very even clearly. a sense partly th- in which th- Britain is responsible for Trump, actually. Well, no, I don't agree with that. But I think, uh, and I, I've said before on the show, and it's been well publicised that the Trump team, Steve Bannon, saw Brexit as their their experiment, yes. their precursor. They absolutely saw that. But I, I think it actually it's not only about anti-Americanism because 
Look, I don't particularly... Th- I, I think that this whole thing with Trump's approach to issues is... I think people find the crassness of it, the stupid, the almost proud stupidity of it, the just grotesqueness of it. And yeah, maybe people think that's what all Americans, all New Yorkers are like, but I think it's not quite that. I think it's actually something quite personal and quite specific to Trump. That actually that there's just a level of dismay that this man is has a bloke with a nuclear button walking yeah. two feet from him the whole time. You know, this guy is terrifying and it's his total and the the stuff on the Irish border articulated that perfectly. And also, you know, Theresa May, when we talked about the NHS bit a bit earlier, Theresa May had to push back. The minute Trump freestyled and went on about the NHS, Theresa May had to push back and, you know, slightly put him in his place about the NHS stuff, knowing the political significance of it in the UK. And then, you know, Leo Varadkar, again, had to deal with that and was obviously uncomfortable as Trump left on about this in this totally yeah. nonsense way. So why does uh, the visit of the American president create such a level of feeling in Britain, which isn't quite replicated by British populism, and it's not replicated when we have the president of China, uh, the, the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, whatever his title is, coming to, to have a state banquet in Britain, and there are pictures of Jeremy Corbyn at the state banquet with the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, you know, China in which 1.2 million Uyghur Muslims are currently in concentration camps. It is today the 30th, or not today, this week, the 30th anniversary of the massacre at Tiananmen Square when students were yep. were protesting for democracy and Chinese soldiers and tanks came in and murdered 10,000 of them in their in, in, you know, the equivalent of Trafalgar Square, um, and that, and and yet we hate Trump, <laughs> and you know. So look, I think it's totally, and I know you're not saying this, but I think it's totally legitimate to be appalled by Trump, to protest Trump, to be horrified by Trump. I I slightly can't decide what I think about Jeremy Corbyn not going to the state banquet and not and then protesting look i think jeremy corbyn went to his comfort zone didn't he standing yeah. outside and protesting an american president is that's yeah. corbyn's but even the liberal zone. democrat tweet attending a state the liberal democrat statement yeah the lib dems joe swinton and uh i think all the yes. liberal Demo- like liberal a variety of liberal democrat mps i saw pictures of joe swinton there but i think there were plenty of others there as well uh well hang protesting on the, the, the protesting is one thing but specifically the liberal democrat tweet said that Trump is a violation of British principles. And, and actually, that's unforgivable, uh, particularly for the Lib Dems, who, who you'd think are better. Ooh. Because at the moment, British principles are specifically the same as Trumpist principles. British principles... Okay, so if I wanted to mount a defence, they would argue that also Brexit is well, of against course. British and, principles. And one should argue, too, that, that Trump is anti-American. <laughs> and he is anti-American... Absolutely, I would right. agree with but, that. But, but um, I think for a British political party to say that the president of the United States violates British principles when Britain is violating British principles in exactly the same way, there's something off about that. There's something 
No, actually, I disagree with you because they were campaigning against Brexit as well at the same event. So, no, I'm not sure I agree with that. But I uh, I, I know what you're saying, but I, I can't quite get my head around what I think about Jeremy Corbyn. I think he actually he was slightly made to look quite embarrassed uh, when Trump revealed that he had asked for a president yeah. uh, to meet him. Uh, you know, he protested, didn't attend the state banquet, but actually had asked to have a private yeah. meeting with the president, which is yeah, all a bit embarrassing, I, it's, really. I, I don't care, really, if, if... I don't know. I just... I think that there is every reason to be utterly scathing of Donald Trump, you know, in any way that you can yeah. talk about. Like, uh, we could do... We could do hours on the ha- show. Absolutely. One, of, one of which is that he uh, has rode back some of the small progress that Obama made in, in healthcare. Um, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of Americans are without healthcare who weren't without healthcare before. But, but what I'm interested in is a slightly different story is the way that, that there is this kind of visceral anti-Americanism in Britain. And it worries me. And the thing I got into real trouble for the other day tweeting was that there is a relationship between the visceral contempt for America and anti-Semitism, which I think there is. And I think there has been for, for actually centuries. If you read Andrei Markovitz's book, Uncouth, Uncouth Nation, about the United States and about anti-Americanism, you will find that it goes back a very long way. It was very big in Weimar, um, this kind of contempt for the vulgar, money-grabbing, classless, uh, new worlders who didn't have a proper nation. Remember, America isn't a proper nation. It's this kind of mel- mixture, melting pot, uh, kind of created by uh, some Jewish conspiracy. There is a relationship between anti-Americanism and anti-Semitism. And of course, very close well, to Israel. That's much later. That, that, that part... Yeah, no, but I'm talking about now. Yes, no, that's right. That um, uh, Israel is blamed on America and America's bad things are blamed on Israel and the tail wags the dog and the dog wags the tail, but they're all kind of considered to be one thing. And uh, Naz Shah followed uh, Norman Finkelstein's cartoon that the, the uh, Israelis should all be sent to America. There is a nexus there, which is very, very unpleasant. And I think just people should need to kind of be careful, really, that... Um, and and there is you know so much that is that is fantastic about America. There, I mean, there was I I saw there was a really horrible, uh, anti oh it was a Rothschild anti yes. Rothschild banner at the anti Trump. I mean, uh, uh, and I think that perfectly sums yes, up the point you're making. They're all run actually. by the Rothschilds. I've been told that he was asked to 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 put it down, or I don't know what happened, but. Um, was, but uh, he felt that was the space to articulate that view. Yeah. No, oh, of course he did. And and you know that American democracy is so important. I mean, let move us on to to thinking about the anniversary of D-Day. Um, America has saved European democracy not once but twice. Mm-hmm. Um, once um, at the time of the Nazis, America was very very important in defeating the Nazis. Um, arguably without America, the Nazis would not have been defeated. Anyway, if they had been defeated, they would have been defeated by the Soviet Union. Uh, So America saved European democracy once, and America stayed in Europe and um, made sure that the Soviet Union didn't take Europe. And that's not a kind of silly uh, fantasy. Um, It would have done if it could have done, and it couldn't because 
the United States took that seriously. Um, I mean, I could say many, many things about America, but... but um, Look, I think it's fair to say that we... Uh, I think it's perfectly viable, you know... You and I both have friends in America, colleagues in America, have spent many wonderful times in America. Uh, and I think there's nothing actually contradictory between loving America and loathing Donald Trump. Absolutely. No, there is nothing contradictory. But some people, and you could hear it in some of the things that some people were saying, found it difficult to make that distinction. And I think... Certainly. And, and the anger with which I was... I, I mean, I've never been part of what they call a dog pile on Twitter before. I've never been direct the, the, the centre of a dog pile, which is when certain kind of key people, Navarra Media people and Owen Jones and people like that tweet against you, knowing that the, the kind of there's going to be thousands of responses. Yeah. It was very unpleasant. You know, I'm aware that this happens on Twitter every day and I'm aware that people like Luciana Berger and, and uh, others have had to, you know, Ra- Rachel Riley have to deal with it every day. But it was new for me, and it was actually very unpleasant. Um, it, it is unpleasant. I'm sorry you had to yeah. put up with it. Now, before we sign off, yes, I just want to ha- end on a... We've had a, quite a grim conversation, so I want to end on a positive. Okay. Well, it's not football, is it? Well, it is, oh. but not, not the football you're thinking of, because <laughs> you've noticed I've gone an hour without talking about my trip to Madrid. And I've gone an hour without talking about anything that happened at Baku. Exactly. But what I do want to talk about, just very briefly, is the Women's World Cup, which is kicking off tonight. Uh, France, the hosts, are playing South Korea. And on Sunday, uh, England are taking on Scotland. And England, dare I suggest it, have a very good chance of winning this tournament. So I think we should end the show by wishing Phil Neville uh, and the England women's football team the very, very best of luck. Absolutely. Uh, I know you'll be watching it. I'll certainly be watching it. No doubt we will reflect on the games in forthcoming shows. Yeah. So, And you know how it is. If you choose to get into it and if you choose to, to learn about it and to enjoy it, and then you'll get into it. And if you don't choose to get into it, you won't get into it. So it's your choice. It is a, it is a choice. I'm not I'm talking about you. Skill. I'm talking to, the, to the, no. the millions of listeners out there. Exactly. And actually <laughs> the skill level and... Uh, no, it should be. I think it's going to be very, very... I mean, I think the French stadium is sold out tonight. I think the French are going to put on a fantastic tournament. So a lot to look forward to. Brilliant. Um, I've also had an exciting week, David. Yeah. Because copies of my book turned up. Uh, I saw. Real, actual copies. Absolutely brilliant. So I, that was quite a thrill. You can pre-order it on Amazon. So please do if you if you haven't got a copy already. It has a wonderful interview in it actually with some bloke called Dr. David Hirsch. So <laughs> is that's worth listening Charlotte, to. When you're doing but an advert, you should probably say the name of the book. The the book is called Not Buying It. Um and like I say, it's about fake news. It's not buying it, the facts behind fake news. So yes, it's available on Amazon, I think Waterstones and Falls and those places too. So yes, that's there. Um, I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter and I look forward to speaking with you next week with... Very, very excited to... St- I haven't read your book yet, so I'm going to need to read it. You're so in it. You. I'm in it. I'm going to need to read it's it properly a, a... so that I can plug it properly. Um, there we go. But go on, where can we find you, David, before we sign You can find off? me uh, on Facebook and on Twitter um, at David Hirsch and on Facebook just David Hirsch. Um, and... Uh, Keep listening to the podcast and make sure that if you like it, that that you pass on the word to other people and get other people to listen to it.
Absolutely. And until next week, we'll see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks.
absolutely and until next week we'll see you thanks for listening <laughs>